him revealing something about God uh, to us. And so they're very instructive and they'll kind of be our summer series. Obviously on Christmas Day we'll have a different kind of sermon, but basically this is what we'll be doing for the next couple of months. So it should be should be a good time together. Um, and these The purpose of these signs is that we might know something of Jesus and be saved ultimately. So John uh, 20 31, uh, should come up on screen, says, these things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so it kind of tells us why Jesus is doing all these incredible miracles. It's so that we will believe, so that we may have life, uh, so that we may have life in his name, uh, new life that begins now and lasts forever. Uh, and today is the first sign um, where Jesus, you know, he, he did a lot of these kind of miracles where he would uh, create food or water, and we're going to look at a couple of them. Um, we're having a lunch here later on. I hope you bought some food because, you know, the rest of us have to actually make it. But Jesus could do incredible things, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. Why don't I begin in prayer, though, as we, uh, as we turn to our passage. Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for making yourself known to us. Uh, please teach us now that we may have life. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, first impressions are important. Uh, and today we're looking at Jesus' first miracle. Uh, verse 11, I don't know if you caught it, it confirms that this is indeed the first miracle he did. And uh, if you've known about this in the past, or as you come to it now, have you ever, do, do you wonder why his first miracle was creating wine? Like, it's just an odd thing to do, isn't it? Why is it that's his very first miracle, converting water into, into alcohol? Uh, I mean, did Jesus just really like a good glass of red? Uh, you know, the most powerful person ever said, the best thing I can give humanity is a good glass of red. A nice, nice glass of wine, maybe Penfold's Grange or, or even better, you know, and uh, the next morning everyone wakes up with a splitting headache and goes, oh, well, that was the Messiah. It's just a really strange miracle, right? Like, why is that his first uh, miracle? What does it say about him? Because the sad reality about alcohol in our world is that actually it can lead to a lot of problems. Many lives are in fact destroyed by alcohol. And so uh, as we begin exploring this passage, uh, we, need to, we need to keep thinking about this. But the, the, the signpost, the way to stay true in the way we understand the passage is actually given. The, the meaning of the passage is given for us uh, at the end of verse 11. It says, he displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So whatever we think is going on, that's actually what it's about. We're told really clearly. Uh, he, it was written that people might believe. It was written to display his glory. So I've got two very basic headings uh, to take us through today. Firstly, Jesus supplies his joy, and then right at the end, we'll uh, consider why it was a wedding. Uh, the place, the place to begin in understanding why the, it was wine, why it was wine, the significance of the wine, um, is really to think about how the Bible thinks about wine. And so, in Scripture, there's kind of two main things that are said about wine. Uh, firstly, we're warned about it. You know, it says, "Don't fall into the trap of drinking too much wine." You know, don't be a brawler uh, from alcohol, and uh, you know, don't look for happiness at the bottom of a bottle. Uh, but then, on the other hand, wine is spoken about as something that's very good—a good gift. 
Wine gladdens the heart. It's to be enjoyed. It's a good gift from God. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms, they all say this. And so wine is a sign of blessing, uh, and any great feast is not complete without it in the Bible. Any, any celebration and great success needs to have wine. Uh, and so, of course, how fitting that Jesus supplies the wine. Uh, as Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, he, he was born into like a pretty downtrodden people, the Israelites, you know, and uh, they... That, that was where they are. That was where they, uh, they are now. That was where they were then. Um, life was tough for them. And Jesus comes into that place uh, and he's there to say, God has not forgotten about you. God is going to restore your fortunes. The, the promised land will be restored. And so, of course, for this, we're going to need some wine. Isaiah uh, looks ahead uh, to this day of victory and restoration in Isaiah 25 verse 6. It should come up. It says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a feast for all the peoples on this mountain, a feast of aged wine, choice meat, finely aged wine. And so this vision of the promised land coming, there's going to be a huge feast, the best food. And you notice twice that wine is mentioned, the aged wine. Don't forget the wine. And so we come to this first miracle, uh, and it is, it is such an occasion as being described in Isaiah here. It's a feast, a wedding, a banquet. It's a, it's a moment of celebration in a hard life. But oh no, the wines run dry. It's exactly, exactly the situation the parable or the miracle is set in. The first sign in, uh, of Jesus, it's kind of, it's dripping in meaning. It's, it's pungent with the aroma of the king. And so, uh, let's, let's dip into it. Verse one. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. Ah, no wine. It's probably the best way to translate Mary's comment. Uh, As with the other feeding miracles, ah, no food, right? You know, in those ones, there was the possibility of starvation. Here, there's the possibility of a, a social disaster. You know, like what kind of wedding would it be if the wine ran out? Certainly in that culture. And so the wedding, it's having, it's having supply issues. There's a supply chain crisis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just kind of, it's a little snapshot of just life. Like, isn't life like that? How many moments of your week this week could have been summed up with, ah, <laughs> you know, what, there's not enough time. The kids are going mad, whatever it is. We're going to be stuck again. And so the first thing to see about Jesus is that he, he enters into a broken world. He comes into our world. People are always running out of, of food or water or money or, or time or care. At the deepest level, supply issues occupy so much of our energy, our thoughts, they're the cause of so many of our fears. Uh, this, um, this image has become a, a bit of a favorite of mine. Um, if you didn't see it before, uh, can you guess where it's from? Does anyone, anyone game to, to call out if they reckon they know where this is from? <laughs> it's a bit tricky. It was taken from the first day of the 2021 Suez Canal obstruction by the Ever Given. I don't know if you remember that. It was on the news. A uh, ship laden with uh, 2,000 containers. I think there's another image there of it. Uh, oh, sorry, 20,000 containers. It did the unthinkable. It, it got stuck and it blocked the entire Suez Canal. 
Uh, and so this absolutely essential global shipping route, you know, like uh, every hour they said that this, this ship was blocking it, there was $400 million in trade that was stopped. And so it was kind of like this unbelievable thing that happened. And it, it did look incredible on the satellite image. It's like, what? <laughs> how, could, how could one ship block 12% of global trade? Uh, you just think of all that was uh, of stop. You know, you think of a big shipping yard and this relatively minor human error had stopped all of that supply. It was unthinkable. Uh, it really was quite the reminder of how easily our supplies can be cut off. And I guess I kind of love the image of the uh, of the struggling digger uh, there trying to do something about it. It reminds me of a feeling, right? Like one man and his little... It looks like such a small digger. It looks like my toddler's little sandpit truck uh, trying to shore up the global supply. And the image, it captures a feeling of not being able to keep up for me, you know, of kind of this hopeless treading water, uh, you know, and trying to address this fear of this disaster. We're not going to be able to keep up with the supply. And I, I, Jesus gets it, right? Jesus gets it. His very first miracle, the thing that he wants to show us is that he, he gets it. He enters into this world and he can supply what is lacking. Jesus meets us where we're at, uh, struggling to supply what we need. And what does Jesus do when he sees the need? Well, he supplies an abundance. Uh, Jesus He's an over-caterer. I don't know if you're an over-caterer. We'll soon tell when all the lunches come out. Uh, Jesus is definitely an over-caterer in a good way. Uh, in verse 6, we're given the measurement of the wine that he produces. And I don't know if you had your calculators out, but it's around 100 bottles of wine that he, he makes that day. Uh, and so he, he effortlessly provides a kind of a comically large amount of wine to show that, that with him there will never be a shortage of supply. Well, returning to our story, uh, verse 3, Mary, uh, he says, you know, Jesus, we're out of wine. And then, were you surprised by Jesus' response there in verse 4? He said, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus uh, Jesus asked, saying, my hour has not yet come. It's quite a, certainly it's striking. You think, oh, I thought thought you did care, Jesus. (laughs) Um, Jesus' words are a little bit of a rebuke. He's reminding her that um, he's more than just a son. Uh, he's reminding her that he's, he's more than just a, a caterer. He is the son of God. He's come with a mission. So he says, my hour has not yet come. For he has come to save the lost, to bring eternal joy to the broken. It's, he has such a big mission. Uh, and I, I don't know what you think. Jesus is all about, why you think he came, what, what, what you think he cares about most, um, but it's actually not fixing our momentary difficulties. He does care about them. As you can see, he, he does produce wine in the end, but that is not really the biggest thing on his mind. Um, really, the, the, our momentary struggles are here for here and now. He didn't come. The, these miracles aren't a sign that he wants to, to fix these little problems. He actually wants to fix them for once and for all. And that's why he came and died on the cross. And so those hundred bottles of wine were good, but they were only a hundred bottles. Uh, you know, there are still shortages are plenty. The, the hundred bottles were a sign, a sign pointing to what he will do, finally eradicating hunger and tears. But that is to come in the new creation.
The story continues in uh, verse 5. Mary says, verse 5, Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Uh, Now six stone water jars had been set there for the Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. And so they filled them to the brim. And so Mary kind of says, stand back and be amazed. Do whatever he says. Uh, it's It's how all humanity needs to respond to Jesus, isn't it? Ask for help and then do what he tells us. Let him supply what is lacking as we obey him. And what's the verdict? Is Jesus' wine any good? Well, uh, they take it to the, the master of ceremonies, the guy running the, the event, and he would, he would have obviously been the guy that would have known. You know, he would have swished it around in his mouth and spoken of tannins and herbaceous tones. It says, verse 9, When the chief priest tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, and then after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. You've kept the best to last, he says. We see that Jesus' supply is both abundant and superior, uh, as is the the new covenant, Jesus' new way of salvation in Jesus. It is superior to the old way, to the Old Testament law. Verse 6, did you notice it told us that the the water jars were for Jewish purification? It's uh, not a very subtle uh, sign to us about some of the deeper meanings here. The chief chief servant uh, speaks the truth when he says the best has been kept until now with Jesus. And nobody would have thought it at the time. You know, no one was watching this happen going, oh, I can see what this means. But it's quite clear in John and certainly is... uh, these similar occasions come up later on in the gospel, it's quite clear what is being said here, and that is that Jesus is, is providing a new way. The old purification jars, they, they were the ones that we used to try and clean up. You'd wash yourself so you weren't considered defiled, so you could uh, be considered clean before God and worship him. You had to clean yourself to become acceptable to God in the old way. And so that's what the, the jars, uh, old purification jars, represented. But Jesus turns these into wine, wine that makes the heart glad. Jesus uses it to point to the great feast. It's like, uh, maybe it's like taking Ajax or cleaning bleach and, and changing it into champagne. Picture the, the scene of scrubbing, you know, trying to clean yourself, making yourself acceptable, striving, perhaps fearing you hadn't done enough, is turned into a scene of joyful abundance, good times and fine food. And so in this first miracle, Jesus says, I've come to bring a new way. Uh, John 14.6, very famous verse, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the new way to life. New rules apply. I will supply what is lacking. My supply will be abundant and superior. It is interesting in the story as well um, that, do you notice not everyone understands what's going on? Going on, everyone tasted the wine. They all, I assume, all would have had a drink and thought this is good wine. But not everyone knew the full story, knew where it had come from. Verse nine tells us, not not everyone left there with the same understanding about who Jesus was. In particular, the uh, the expert who verified the wine, the chief servant, he didn't know the wine's origin. We're told, and it kind of uh, makes his comments 
all the more powerful. The chief servant tastes, he's like, "Mm, this is amazing. And you think, if only he knew where it had come from. The chief servant, he verifies the authenticity of the miracle without realizing he was doing so. And this is often the case, isn't it? In in God's world, people live uh, denying him. Uh, They live as Jesus' subjects, rebelling against him. And yet there are so many times where, without even realizing it, they are uh, testifying to his truth. There's so many examples you could pick. Um, but to pick one, you know, you know, like it, when people are faced with death, how often they cry out to God, even atheists. Um, I was listening uh, to an interview uh, last week with a uh, Jose Hernandez. Uh, he's uh, a man, and he described dying in a hospital bed. Uh, he had this great quote. He said, it, "It's a strange feeling to hear your heartbeat going crazy, and all of a sudden, beep." And so uh, things were things were not good. He died, sort of, like his heart stopped for. A uh, few minutes. Uh, he says uh, he had a life-changing experience. Um, and so now he makes art uh, based on the intuitions from his near-death experience, these kind of really ethereal pieces of art. And now the doctors say that the brain very much keeps going uh, for a number of minutes in those cases. And so he, he was actually still alive. Uh, but it's uh, interesting, like he recalls his thoughts in those uh, minutes. And ultimately, as he thought about life, the universe was telling him, uh, Jose, it's, it's okay, the universe loves you. So he kind of comes to this place of like, I've got nothing to be worried about, it's all good. And he, he actually doesn't end up repenting. Uh, but before he, he, before he gets there, his first instinct is to cry out to God for help. Uh, when, when he realizes that he's, he's dying on this hospital bed, he he remembers crying out to God. He says, you know, and kind of, the, the, how often do you hear this? They try and strike a bargain with God. He, he said, uh, if you save me, I'll do anything for you. I'll change how I live. But sadly, he didn't. And I, I guess I'm, uh, I'm always not surprised at how often I hear uh, this same comment. You know, when people are faced with death, are truly stuck, they cry out to God for help. For they know, we all know, all humanity knows, they they are small. There is a God. Uh, we, are, we are but a little digger trying to dig out an enormous shit. We're so small. All, down, uh, all of us know deep down that God is the king and we're his creation. We all must answer to him. And so you get a little glimpse of this with this chief servant tasting Jesus' wine. Mmm, this is so good, he says. Well, uh, hopefully you're feeling a bit better about our miracle and you understand why it's all about uh, creating wine and uh, that sits a bit better with you, having looked at the passage. Um, I think one other interesting question to ask about the passage is why is the first miracle a wedding? Uh, why did God choose a wedding? Um, and again, it's not that subtle. Um, so uh, that's kind of our second point. Uh, Jesus now supplies a bride very, very briefly to kind of pull a few ideas together. The, the Jewish wedding feast, I don't know, you probably know this, it was a great occasion and they would celebrate for a whole week. So it was quite the ordeal. People would come over to, the, um, to their house and, uh, and celebrate for a whole week. And uh, the, the bride and the groom were treated like kings and queens for that time, uh, for the length. They were treated like royalty. And uh, I actually remember my wedding, and as I think back to it, there's a, a lot of amazing thoughts, um, but... 
maybe one of the biggest ones is just being really overwhelmed. Like just being the center of attention. Everyone's there and they've all come and you are the center of attention and it's so overwhelming. Like I would much rather be the guy, I hate being the guy at the front, I'd much rather be the guy at the back making fun of the guy at the front. Uh, if you're at the back, that's not an invitation. But that's where I'm most comfortable. And a wedding is the opposite. You are the center. Uh, you know, at my wedding, my friends wrote a little song for me. Like, when else does that happen? And they performed it. It was quite good. It mainly uh, made fun of me, you know, for things like taking too long to get ready. Uh, <laughs> but you're, you're the center of the attention. And I was totally overwhelmed. I mean, it was, you know... Uh, overwhelmed as well. It was an amazing moment getting married to Nikki, obviously. But it was very overwhelming because uh, I don't like being the center of attention. But Jesus, he is meant to be the center of attention. you know, And he is throughout scripture described as the groom. And that is his place. He is, he is royalty. He is the king. He is meant to be the groom of the great wedding. Um, throughout scripture we have this image. Uh, you know, for example, Ephesians 5. And, and the bride is, of course, the church. It's us here today. We are the bride. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. And if you, if you ask what God is doing in the world right now, above all else, he is supplying a bride. He's creating his bride. He's purifying uh, his church. Uh, member by member, one by one, he's saving people into his eternal heavenly body. He's creating a beautiful bride for Jesus. And so just as he uh, supernaturally changed ordinary water into wonderful wine, he supernaturally changes ordinary sinful people into to purified, beautiful Christians. He, uh, he purifies us by removing our sin-stained clothes. And out of his abundance of righteousness, we are made righteous. If we follow him, uh, as Mary says, do what he says. Listen to what he says. Uh, and so look to our great King Jesus. Be cleansed by him and live in his abundance, in the rich supply forever, that Jesus is able to uh, provide beyond our wildest uh, expectations. Some of Jesus' parting words before he uh, went on the cross were given in John fifteen eleven. He said, um, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And our passage today ends by saying, verse 11, he displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so taste, see, believe and have joy that will never end. Let me pray to close. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending Jesus and showing your glory uh, in him to us. Help us to look to him to supply our needs in this life and for eternity. And may we live at the door of the great banquet feast, ready to celebrate the work that Christ has done in us as we prepare for Jesus, the Groom and King. In his name we now pray. Amen.